Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Good movement, and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Laura podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so that together we can uplift each other and benefit all beings everywhere. Today, I have a very special guest on my podcast. He is an actor an activist, an educator, a parent, and an amazing partner. He is my husband, Mark Hyman. I'm thrilled to have him on here. I ask him all kinds of questions that you all sent me. I didn't even get to them all, but I got to some really juicy ones. So I hope you will listen in and enjoy. Welcome to today's podcast. I have a very, very special guest. His first appearance on my podcast. I never thought I'd see this day. It's my <laughs> husband, Mark Hyman. Hey, sweetie. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you describe for everybody uh, what it looks like doing a podcast <laughs> with me? <laughs> it looks the same as eating dinner with you. You're right across from me. We're in the sauna, and um, we're not usually in the sauna. We're not usually dinner. in the sauna eating dinner. No. <laughs> But we're usually you're usually across from me when we're right. eating dinner. So. I think that we're going to have more eye contact, though. Don't oh, you think? Y- yes. Yeah. <laughs> we are in a sauna. We are fully dressed. Just we're keeping it PG for all the people out there. But Mark Hyman is my co-captain on this um, amazing ride of life. And I ask people to ask me um, what questions they would like me to ask him. Oh, we're going or right to tell that. me. Well, no, I'm going to give a little bit of background. And so I am going to ask those questions. He's drinking a couple of sips of beer. He doesn't even really drink I beer that much. Beer, but I think I need <laughs> but he's, he's like, I need to take some alcohol into the sauna uh, before you ask me these questions. So I think first people would like to know, what is what is it like <laughs> to be married to a yoga teacher? <laughs> What's it like to be? Well, for one disclaimer, I am not a yogi. Right. Um, I've always said when I that I actually am not a big yoga fan, but I am a big Lara fan. So, like, I love taking your class. I think I, you want to get laid. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but it's true. I, I actually I usually do not like yoga classes. True, but I like your classes because. Well, for one, I love watching you and watching everyone's reaction to you. That I get personal joy from seeing you in your element. So that, on top of, I just it's a great workout for me when I'm I'm in your class. So it, it's just like a win win uh, 
doing that. So wait, what was the question again? The question was, <laughs> what's it like being married to a yogi? Oh. But you you said it basically, you're not you're not doing yoga, but it's okay to be married to me, I guess. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and you know, the yoga that, that you do, it's not only in the classrooms or, or, or in your studios. So you bring that out. And, you know, I, my wife, being married to a yogi means that my wife is always dressed in like, you know, yoga tights, which isn't a bad thing either. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I apologized to you one time. I said, honey, I'm sorry mm-hmm. you see me wearing yoga clothes and that's about it. And you're like, well, it could be worse, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's not a bad thing. Um, so speaking of yoga off of the mat, I think people would be really curious to hear about our journey into veganism. I don't think people necessarily, um, well, a couple of the questions, a lot of questions were about veganism, but several mm-hmm. were about if you were vegan before we met or did we become vegan together? So why don't you talk a little bit about how we have probably grown together in our own yoga practice, um, right. meaning raising consciousness, which is the way I'd like to redefine yoga, which is its original essence is is about raising consciousness. So can you talk to everyone about that? Sure. First, this is so awesome being able to just look at you. Like we are, you're right, the eye contact. I think we should just come in here and, and talk sometimes because, you know, you, you're forced to look in someone's eyes and that's, that's really awesome. So with that as a background, um, so before we met, I didn't even, I didn't even know what a vegetarian was when we, when we met. I don't think, I mean, I probably knew, but like that never was in my consciousness until we met. Um, and then we were biking, we were going to be biking across the country together, spending 24 hours a day together. I think that's a different story at some point, but, Mm -hmm. um, and I just said, you know, well, I just want to honor you and what your uh, your values are while we're together, and don't because I do was something. vegetarian at that point. You yeah, were vegetarian right. and had been for many years, and you know I was sort of toying with it. But this was early in our relationship; we just knew each other six months. And I was, I said, okay, if we're going to be spending this time together, I will. I'll just honor you, and and so when we biked across the country, that was three months, and so I stayed as vegetarian for that period of of time, and that sort of was the beginning. That was really easy for me in, in general doing that. And so then as that, like I first started doing vegetarian just because, you know, it wasn't bad for, I look, it was good with, uh, for being your partner to, for the to ladies. Be, for the ladies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let me just do a side note here. One time he had a, he had a, like, you can take it to the bureau. I tell this story. It's just really cute because he was wearing, um, like a Gandhi saying about, how um, it's the Gandhi quote about you can judge a, a a country how it treats its animals or something like that, mm-hmm. and you were saying like every time you wore it, like all the ladies would stop oh, and talk to you. Well, it was awesome. Now that since you had John <laughs> on the podcast, he was right. very upset because he's like you know he's this tall strapping guy, my brother uh, John, brother yeah, John, yeah. and the two of us are out, and, and I was getting all the attention <laughs> from these beautiful women, and he was like, "What's up?" And it was like they all were just so into my shirt. So yeah, yeah. I've sort of worn that shirt out, and I, I keep getting so my recommendation to all you guys out there: get vegan T-shirts. They're a big draw. <laughs> <laughs> You become vegan too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a starting point though. Uh, so, right, so, yeah, okay. so. so we did that that trip mm-hmm. and that went uh, that went great. And then I think from there, I, I we read, I can't remember if it was before or after Peter Singer's Animal Liberation. That was like the one big book you had. I think that was a big inspiration for you, but hadn't really spread out into other vegetarian vegan 
books. Uh, so that was the big one for you. So I, I read that. And then, so as we were dating for those first couple of years, we, I just became vegetarian and that was really easy. And then right after we got married, a month after we got married, we went to Farm Sanctuary for the hoedown. They, they have an annual hoedown, which is great. It has, uh, and they, they still have it. So, and it has, it's a conference where you go up to Farm Sanctuary and they have these uh, great speakers. And we left that I think you might have spoken a little bit about, I think on one of your podcasts about what someone had said and, and how that, we, we left that conference. And for us, it was, well, for one, we had already been married. And so we were on this journey together and that does make it a lot easier. But we left that conference. We, we went into the conference vegetarian and we left vegan. It was sort of just overnight. Yeah. And that's not true for everyone, but for us, it was sort of like, okay, there's, this is it. This is this sort of everything aligns with us and it makes sense. And so we had the support of each other and it was early in our, our, our marriage. And so we knew this is the path that we wanted to be on and how we wanted to raise our children. So it's been, so that was, that was the start. And then it's been really easy because you became a natural gourmet chef. And so for me, it's just like, I eat, it's really easy for me because I just eat what, what you put out for me. And I know it's going to be good for me. And and nutritious and and taste great. And so, yeah. And I think it, that was a great synopsis. And I think the other thing is that it's a good, I think when you're in a really good, solid, happy relationship, and that this could be with a partner of any kind, it could be with a relationship with a really good friend, but you elevate each other. And I think that's uh, no matter, we've been married 17 years yeah. High five. <laughs> We've been together 20 years. I mean, that's a long time and there's a lot of growth in that and we will continue to grow. And the big thing is to grow, grow together in ways and also support each other's growth in parallel tracks too. And I think that it is easier making these conscientious and conscious choices together for sure, because we just support each other and it's very consistent. And then yeah. we raise our kids that way. And well, I think also, you know, it's, you are going to grow in over 20 years. You're going to grow differently. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And you should, you should, you know, we're going to have different interests. The one part that you don't want to grow differently is where your core values are. So I think that's, that's where the veganism for us comes in. in and where, as long as you're sort of stay in the same path, that way you're going to grow, we're going to grow together and grow, grow separately. And that's, that's wonderful, but it's got to be based and have that same core. And I think that, um, I think our understanding has grown over, over the years, obviously in our knowledge, uh, about veganism and, and our, our beliefs have grown and strengthened. Uh, but the, the essence hasn't changed. And I think that's why, um, why you could grow individually. You've certainly grown into the, the yoga practice and how that's taken you and how that's blossomed. It's come a long way since, since we're, we began, uh, and it really sort of began on that, uh, with that trip or just before, like early in, really in our, our relationship, uh, when you did your first teacher training. So, um, so you've grown and, and that's it definitely changed from that, but it's still that those core values probably hasn't changed so much. And probably it's, some of that's been how you've been since you were a young, young girl. Right. And I think, um, we bring in those elements of our own background and then enhance the parts that are, that are the best, I think, is in a, in a in a really solid relationship, and that doesn't mean we don't have our ups and downs. We can talk about that another time. But I think the best thing um, that we have in common is this these core values, and and really, you're you're one of the most upstanding 
individuals I know in terms of your being so crystal clear with your your core values. And I remember coming back from that farm sanctuary event and you were just one thing that's so admirable is when you were in, you were all in and it's you're just like poik, everything out of the refrigerator that wasn't vegan and just like never turning back and and I think I was probably more defensive. I yeah, came back and absolutely. I was more, but I, I also, it's sort of the same thing with, I think if you're like, if you're converting religions, which I know something about because my mom converted to Judaism and you sometimes can become even more hardcore than mm-hmm. if you've sort of like, you grew up as a vegetarian since you were 13. So everything was so fresh to me that I came back and I, I am, I tend to be pretty definitive about things, <laughs> but uh so I think, yeah, I think I was, uh, but you already sort of were there anyway. It's just, I was, I'm a little bit more type A, black and white, sort of definitive. And, and so I think that made things easy that, yeah. that I was all in. And then from that point, what's interesting is not only was he all in, but Mark wanted to take it into um, even more action than just like what you eat or how we how we buy things. But he is was interested in doing a lot more actual activism work and got some advice to to go back and get his master's in humane education. And with that, um, that took about, what, six or seven years because we had the kids and they were young and he had to write a thesis and all that. But it's a beautiful, beautiful um, educational process that that you got involved in. And, and that I'm kind of leading the way toward our building, our eco- um, eco-friendly home because a lot of people wanted to know about that. But let me but, just yeah, interject first because, talk about the, well, yeah. because that actually the, getting the humane education came from Gene Bauer, who is, who's the co-founder and president of farm sanctuary. Um, and that we, so, I mean, he's been so integral in our mm-hmm. lives and our growth, uh, from going to that hoedown at farm sanctuary. And then, we were, he would came to New Jersey and they were trying to get that legislation passed, mm-hmm. but he needed residents of New Jersey and Laura and I. So that was the start of our friendship uh, with him. And we went and we were going to the Department of Agriculture uh, to get, uh, to, to try and work to get this, this stuff that had been on the books, but to get it actually passed and, and to get it actually enacted uh, for doing better treatment for uh, caged animals uh, in animal agriculture. And I remember I was at those meetings and amazed at Gene and at his level. He'd been doing this for years and you could just see sort of like they were just they were just talking the the uh the government the government when we were at these these meetings and you could, I could just felt like okay nothing's going to get done and I'm a New Yorker and I want things done well, and, and it I'm, was and, it, and I, I just interject here just mm-hmm. to give people an idea of how frustrating it was it was like listening to people talk it was like being on a different planet like mm-hmm. the department of agriculture are justifying how it's okay to castrate you know bulls without anesthesia you know and you can see the judge like gulp and and just things that are so complete we just can't even you just can't wrap your head around what is actually justifiable and gene who has heard heard this and seen the atrocities of farm um, factory farms just sits there with such patient patience and mark and i are like how are people not you know, pulling their hair out over this like because the, we were right we, we right, were yeah and so i asked Gene, I said, Gene, I love what you're doing and it's so important and I want to be involved in being part of the the, the change, but I can't do it this way. Mm-hmm. It's just, I, this is not me. It's not my personality. I don't have the same patience. I'm hopefully I've grown some in the patience, but definitely not, not to the, not to where I'd say like, there's a, a high, 
I put like Gene, Gene Bauer and John Frank, your brother, on like a different plane of patience than anyone else I, I know. And I, I wasn't there. And I, I said, you know, I can't do this because I, I, I want to see some, some change in action. And he actually recommended uh, the Institute for Humane Education, which hopefully we'll put, on, uh, put a link on. Uh, for for the podcast, that's, that, that's where I ended up getting my master's. And someone who had graduated from the Institute for Humane Education uh, had originally done the humane education work for Farm Sanctuary, and so he said, "Hey, you should check this out." And I thought it was a great idea, and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. A lot of people who go there are teachers, and it's a distance program, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. But at this point, we were going to have kids, and we we're going to have our, our first child. And I thought, you know, I have no idea where this is taking me, but I always want to learn. And at the very least, I think it's going to make me a better father and better partner and better friend. So that's really all I was hoping to get out of it. I didn't. And I think that was a great way to go. Can into, you tell everybody what humane education sure. is about? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, for one, I highly recommend going on the uh, website, ihe.org. Um, but humane education is pretty much integrating all the different uh, elements of our lives and how every everything is interwoven, whether it's and the choices you make about the purchases you make and uh, the food you eat and how anim- the different the non non human animals, all sentient beings, the environment, the environment, the humans, and how we're all where everything's interwoven. So we learn a lot in, and so I started in a certificate program and you're learning about these different, and I don't know if this is about how many years ago, I guess 15, mm-hmm. 18 years ago. Um, so you're doing these different components and you're learning about the the human, the abuses that have happened over the centuries uh, for humans and the animal degradation and, and environmental uh, issues. So you're learning, you're going to going deep dives into these really heavy issues so you could understand how everything is connected. And then the goal is then you could share that knowledge and, and either bring it into a classroom or write books. Or um, for me, it's been going, giving workshops on what, what we call, and this is sort of based on, on how Laura and I, how we live our lives. It's uh, called MOGO living, which is doing the most good. And uh, that's sort of, we took that. And I think that's how we, we, that's become sort of our religion, like making choices that are just going to do the most good. That doesn't mean there's no pure good, but there is the most good. And there's, and that might change from day to day with, with the choices you make, but looking at everything you do and what's going to do the most good and the least harm in your life with the purchase you make, with how you treat other people, and and so it was just an eye-opening experience. I, I, I don't think I've done it quite justice, uh, but it definitely has informed who who I am as uh, and how I want to live my life. I, you know, something just popped into my head, and this is an example of where humane education would come into play and how we kind of put it into action, is when our kids were going through a school um, in elementary school, mm-hmm. and they were in a very, very very progressive school, um, a little Quaker school. And in first grade, they had a project where they would um, purchase animals and they would feed the not animals. actual not uh, animals. No. No, sorry, sorry. <laughs> not actual animals. It was it was all like they, they made up a poster board and they created this farm that they were on and the they would purchase the animals and then they would raise the animals and they had to calculate. It was, it was very basic um an economic structure. It was trying kind of introducing the idea of like 
what, you know, cost for raising something. And then um, what would you, what's your net gain kind of thing. And, you know, we were like, hey, we're vegan. And this is this bringing a subliminal message to kids that raising animals as a product to then sell them is okay. You know, this just is just common practice. And so we said, why can't we just make those vegetables, you know, that would be like more inclusive and everything. And it was actually a little bit of a struggle, but the point is it shows you there's a lot of things, even in education or especially in education, that are so ingrained in these systems that are, that we're just, we're so accustomed to that we don't even question. We don't question them or the, the ethics behind them or this kind of most good behind them. And we did eventually have, um, get them to change, but we were kind of those annoying parents that were like pointing out something that, that we shouldn't be annoying, but it was, it was an interesting process. Part part of that was also, I think, um, and a lot of that I think came from my, the humane education, looking at at that and, and what my master's thesis was, but which I'll, I'll mention in a second, but it was the idea that these kids are thinking like, this is, the problem is that that they they think well this is the norm this is our society and I guess it is the norm but they're they're learning that this is okay because it's just accepted that okay we're gonna we're gonna have this thing where we're gonna raise uh, we're gonna be raising and selling products of animals and selling the animals and that we use animals and they're there for us mm-hmm. um, as opposed to my idea which is having if we have dominion it, it means we're taking care of everything not that we're using it for our benefit so it was important to us to go and talk to the school and looking at other things because we didn't want our kids to be learning that um that that this is acceptable and that this is the norm uh we wanted them because that doesn't make them critical thinkers it's like a lot of things that were not critical thinkers about other things from childhood that that's just the way it was and so that's why my master's thesis was writing a children's book series that was changing. If you look at most children's books, they, they're sort of, or the early reader series, where you're just, it's supposed to be about reading and learning how to read. But a lot of them is about like, you know, little Joey goes to the circus or, you know, on the farm and, and, and things, which seems innocuous, but it's setting the stage for kids to think, okay, that that's perfectly fine. And it's cute. And where you, and uh, whether those were done on purpose or not, I felt like, okay, wouldn't it be great to have an early reader series where you could actually put in some values of humaneness and kindness and that, uh, and you could put that in with you. There's no reason why you can't have these early reader series and also have, uh, be teaching our kids the values that I think everyone pretty much wants their kids to, to grow up with. Right. And I think humane education also gives people the opportunity. I know like modern day issues with global warming and stuff. Like let's actually use science and use math and apply that logic to real world problems. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, it's, 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 it's a true application of what's happening. So speak is now that we've totally gone on the vegan mm-hmm. track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are, we are not annoying vegans. Right. We promise. We're, we're more than just vegans. <laughs> we're more than just vegans, but we're, we're definitely not annoying vegans. Um, we will love you up and invite you to our house and and, and well, feed th- you good food. I think that's also why you have you've been so uh, people are drawn to you and a lot you've you probably single handedly uh, impacted so many people becoming vegan is is because and I think I've learned from you this is the power of not judging um, other people or you know everyone's in their own path and like 
we're not abolitionists in the, in the way that it's like all or nothing. I don't think either of us believe in black and white and it's all a journey just because we happen to overnight be able to switch to become vegan. That um, I think it's just that, hey, we're here, we're happy with our, our lives. And if you want to join us on in the path that we're on, great. And if it's going to take you a while, that's great too. It's not like mm-hmm. uh, dogmatic about it. No, I think I think we can say it is a really joy-filled yeah. path. I think mm-hmm. life is really can be tough and dark and you certainly... Have you know known your darker days and loss and stuff? <laughs> I didn't mean like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we can get to that some other time. But uh, you know, it. But I think that when you're doing something that feels really good in your heart, it feel it, you're lighter. I think you're just lighter in spirit. Um, so moving on to other issues of of this human education umbrella, I was, I was alluding to the fact that several people wrote about our journey into our eco home. Mm-hmm. So um, how did we develop? How did we come up with the idea? And how did we, I mean, it's mm. a, that, would be a, that would be a series of podcasts, but maybe give a little um, overview of our journey into building our home. Okay, Mark well, it's was basically big, Mark I was, was basically like the project manager. I was a bit the GC on it, but although we did bring in a general contractor. Well, why don't you start but, with how we okay. how you started um, researching it and all the, the, the like maybe those two or three books that you re- that really stood out in giving you. Oh, well, do you remember the names a, yeah, of them? Yeah, the little the little house. Put, well, there's the little house. You'll put you just add those. Yeah, on, we'll, on, we'll, on we'll try lines, and add but, some. Um, but the no, list. there's the one about straw bale. Yeah. Just those ones in, in New Mexico mm-hmm. that we just, I think we both just saw these houses and were like, this feels so right. Mm-hmm. And um, for us, and it, it just felt, the houses all felt warm and inviting and natural and open. And I was like, this is sort of who we are. And your home should speak about who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love doing, I'm, I love creating. I mean, that's what I sort of do is, like, and that's where I get my, um, my happy place is when I'm creating something, whether it's, well, it could be anything. So, so I think I just did a lot of research and, and decided that this is, you know, we couldn't buy where we live. We couldn't do a straw bale house. We, we looked at that, yeah. but in, in our area, it wasn't. The climate's it, not right. Well, it wasn't only the climate. Oh. It wasn't, we, we weren't allowed to in, in our town. Oh, was that so, it? Yeah, I thought that was get, with the septic. No, but, okay. I mean, there was the septic part mm-hmm. too. There were a lot, there were some hurdles, but you're, you're in certain areas. You can, in certain areas, you're not going to mm. get approval. So we couldn't, but we found, uh, and we decided, I, I thought, okay, well, why don't we, we want a place, we want our kids to grow up in a place that is free of the toxins that are in a lot of homes and we wanted a place that sort of spoke like that said this is who we are and i i specifically also wanted a place i was like okay there at this back at the time now there's a lot more green homes uh, but we had difficulty finding we couldn't find someone we scared away so many general contractors with the specifics of our uh of our our plan and when it was all drawn up fortunately we had we had gotten in touch with uh a man by the name of john ringle who was like one of the Early, early, yeah. yeah Princeton the, graduate architects that of specifically for environmentally and building um, green homes or designing green, green homes mm-hmm. before they were even called green homes back in the sixties when they looked like spaceships. Yeah. So, but he helped us. Remember, he like he came in and he would just look and he like get a vibe for like where <laughs> he, he'd, we'd be in the yard and he'd like point up at the sky and he'd be like, "Okay, at twelve noon on June twenty first, it will be <laughs> no, no, wait." And he'd go over like five degrees. It will be here. And I'd yeah. Be like, it's like Moses or something. He was awesome. <laughs> but he helped, he helped us. And it, we spent a year designing a place because we wanted a place that would be, uh, that would feel like home for us. And my real goal was I wanted a place because we didn't have a place where we could go and give and, and see tours of what all the products, green products. And so we wanted 
a place that people could come to and we could sort of be like an open house, like a model, of, a model yeah. house mm-hmm. of, of a lot of different features of green homes. And it would take, that would be a whole other, I think, podcast to go into all the details or yes. maybe probably more like a uh, like a YouTube like walkthrough because there's a, oh, a lot. That would be amazing. Yeah, because there's a lot of elements um, in, well, in our so house many. specifically, like we picked every one of our countertops is is like different. a different pro, a different mm-hmm. type made from a different recycled material and yeah. so, flooring so and all that. Right. And we p- picked different ones in particular so that we could show different products and how great it was and how it was either equal. And then we just definitely had to make some choices and show some things that weren't green because the price was just so, you know, you, you have to work within a budget and where, where the places that we wanted to. We'll, we'll get into more details of that. That's kind of like you have to deep dive into it, but it is a passive solar designed home. It is got all these amazing elements to it that we will, we'll just do it on a different yeah. podcast. Mm-hmm. So let's see, somebody asked, I want to, I want to do a couple of really of the fun. They're all fun questions, but this was, how did you get your sweet dance moves? <laughs> <laughs> me? That's for me? That was for you. No, these are for all, these oh, are all for you. Wow. Yeah. Oh, how did, how did I know about my, they heard about I, me? They, like they've seen you on my, oh, my yeah, yeah, yeah. stories or something. A sweet dance. I, I, I think, think it's because you're not inhibited. Exactly. You are so... Well, I in, think part of it is yeah. like, I, I was a professional actor for, um, for many years. Uh, and so I think, yeah, I, but I always was like, I was just sort of loose. And I think, I think part of it is I, um, not inhibited. And I, I think, I think, I think I'm a better dancer than I really am. So it, so it makes me feel like, you know, if I'm not looking in the mirror. Dance like no one's watching. Right, exactly. I think, I think it like, I'm t- I gotta, you know, not look at myself and I don't look at videos because then it's a little bit painful. But when I'm not, I could just sort of, I could be free. And I think now being a dad who, who doesn't mind embarrassing his kids every once in a while, you know, the, the more loosey goosey you are. You just dial the, it up. Some, just dial yeah. it up a little bit. No, but it's really true in terms of looking for a partner. I think if you had everything going for you and then you were really, really inhibited in your dancing or kind of stiff, I would be like, hmm. Well, I think we both, like when we go to a both, party, we're like if we're going out, to a wedding, yeah. I think people we're think we're usually, super drunk and we're like probably stones, we like we're totally drink. sober and we're just right. dancing because we both are... Yeah, we both That's are fun. uninhibited. Yeah. <laughs> High five. Love it. Okay. So that's you you are admired for your dance right. moves. And and all you out there, if you see Laura, ask her for her lasso dance moves. <laughs> she, she's famous for that. The famous lasso. The famous lasso like, move. It's, it's so yeah, I don't know where that came from. Okay, so um here's a good one. Any relationship advice? Dun dun dun. Relationship advice. Wow. Trust your instincts. I would say, you know, like, I think I've, I've been in a couple relationships. He's talking before marriage. Uh, but no, that, and oh, then, like, after. I learned from, oh. from that. I mm-hmm. think, like, early relationships, like, I two in particular, where I thought, okay, something's going on. And it, there was, we're talking about high school and one mm-hmm. in, when was the other one? There was two times. Oh, it was one, one out of grad school. Um where I just felt like something was up and someone was not being straightforward with me and there might be something else going on. And I didn't trust myself. Mm-hmm. And then they found out, turned out to be like, I was right with what I was feeling because your, your heart knows. Um, and so I think that works both ways. So I didn't trust myself and in those instincts. And then I, I learned, I was like, but it didn't really matter because, you know, they were, I was young and they were just, you know, early relationships. But I learned from those experience, experiences that it's, really important to trust your heart. And and the reason when we tend to go wrong is when we are not listening to that inner voice. So 
I think with you, I listened, I knew, you know, it just, I was like, this is right. And this feels different. And this is worthwhile. And so I listened to that voice. And every time when, when I think we've had maybe one fight in our... <laughs> <laughs> He's joking. <laughs> no, but when you do... Uh, and, and we've had we've had our fights, believe it or not. Um, but it's all about communication. And I always and I think that's the other part. It's really important. Communication, communication mm-hmm. and listening to your heart. And, and even when we're angry at each other, I think I come back to knowing, OK, I've got it good. This is awesome. And there's always going to be struggles. And when things are not going great, I just I take my time and then come. I, I just think through and I was like, OK what's missing and it's usually a lack of communication and say, okay, well, I can either be hard-headed and just stick with where I am or realize, okay, all we need is this. If we could communicate, we could get back to to where we need to be. So communicate and trust your heart. I love that, honey. I love that. And I would say you are, he actually, Mark is a better communicator in many ways than I am, believe it or not. As as communicative <laughs> as I am, he can be he's, he's, he's really raised the bar for me and I've become a lot better in our relationship. And so thank you for that. You're welcome. Oh, I love <laughs> you. Okay. So speaking of communication, Uh-oh. Mark is about to embark on something <laughs> that is wildly crazy in, in for, for so many people, but especially uh, for this guy. He is, why don't you tell everybody what okay. you're about to do? Well, it probably is. It, it comes from, this all goes back to um, our, uh, when we were talking about Frank Sanctuary and Gene Bauer and, uh, and well, that those stories actually explain why he and Frank Sanctuary are so important to us. Yeah. But we are, every two years, uh, Laura and I take the kids on a charity hike and we do, a, and that this is probably a whole other podcast, but um, we go on a charity hike. We did uh, four years ago when Jonah was 10 and Olivia were 12. We <laughs> hiked across, we did a coast to coast hike, 200 miles across England. And then two years ago, we went uh, and uh, we went across Scotland. That was 130 miles, I think. It was a shorter. We had less time. And both of those, we raised money for the Institute for Humane Education because those were really important to us. And they they were a big part of who we are and um, we how we self, raise our kids. We self-fund the trip, meaning we pay for Completely it. And then 100. we just use it as a way of saying, hey, let's walk the talk and literally let's raise money for um, causes that we believe in. And we and raised, awareness. Yeah, and re- awareness. And we've raised 50,000 for them. 25,000 about each of each those hikes. Yeah. yeah, and it's because they were completely self-funded. And so all the money that we raised went to the organization, which I think people like. One one thing that I sometimes have a problem with when you when you're making uh, donations to a charity is like, like how much is actually going to be used versus okay, what's going to be for administrative? And we knew that very little for Institute of Humane Education. Zoe Weil is a dear friend and who runs that and has for decades. She doesn't even take any money for herself and hasn't ever. So we knew, I, I and going through the master's program and also having been on the board for that that. Uh, that program for for a number of years, I knew that all the money was going towards uh, where it should. So we raised money for that and, and also raised awareness about it. So this year we wanted to do something different. And we said, okay, well, the only other organization right now that stands out is something that is so dear to hearts, our hearts is Farm Sanctuary. So we are, and that's what we're doing 
We're going to, in summer June, summer 2019, we're doing our coast-to-coast for Compassion Hike across Wales. So 170 miles, and you could follow us. Laura will put Yeah, we'll have all on. that information. It's, It'll be fun to watch yeah, us. we always have the web. There, you could, there, there, we have Instagram and mm-hmm. Facebook, and it's uh, www.c2c4compassion.com. And that, you actually, that has stuff about our, our past hikes in this hike. Anyway. c 2 c 4 Dot com. No. Oops. C2C4Compassion.com. Yes, okay. That stands for Coast to Coast for Compassion. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, anyway okay. so that's the backdrop of, um, but this year I wanted to do something more. It's like, okay, well, we're doing that as a family. And, and that's, you know, we're raising money and awareness for great cause. But actually for us, it's such a family bonding to get away from electronics and to get away from it, just to spend time as a foursome, which is awesome. And also teach the kids um, how to pack lightly for one. <laughs> and also how to... Um, perseverance. We'll perseverance. Have, we should talk about that yeah, some, that's, on another yeah. podcast. Yeah. So anyway, I was like, okay, well, this is awesome and I love it. But for me, that's actually easy. People find that challenging. That's my, that's my home. I like going out in nature and going on hikes and keep on going. Movement. Movement. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was really easy for me. And I thought, you know what? I want to do something, something that I've always wanted to do, but also that's probably more challenging or definitely more challenging for me. So I am going on a two week silent hiatus or getting, getting away. I'm 10 of those days is going to, are going to be, um, on a silent retreat of Vipassana, uh, at a Vipassana center for meditation. And then the other days leading up and at the end, uh, adding three, four days that are just going to be sort of getting into it and getting out of it, sort of a, um, a slow in and a slow out where I'll be silent and not speaking. But uh, those 10 days, there's actually no movement. So uh, you're sort of sitting meditating for 10 and a half hours a day. Um, so I'm doing that. I'm starting that in, I start next in a week, a yeah. week, week from tonight, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be heading out. And, and it's so not me that the, the silence I think I can do is Laura. You can't have two people as talkative as Laura is <laughs> in a relationship. So I'm, I'm definitely not as, as uh, talkative as she, as she is. So I think that the silence is actually not the problem for me. It's going to be, I love to move and I'm, you move all the time. I move all he the time. paces and walks. And yeah, so I like definitely to, have for, some ADHD to, undiagnosed. So, yeah. to, to sit and meditate. This is this is huge. This is yeah. huge. It's like it, it's like you're kind of combining a lot of different um, practices. And one of them, like James Aspie, who didn't speak for a year for the right. for, for animals. I mean, that's not what you're doing. Something different, but it is. It really makes you go inward. Yeah. And so, what's going to be exciting is his first words. We've decided would be really fun if we brought him back on this podcast, and his first words are going to come on to the podcast. Yeah, two weeks. Let's hope that works. So, I think it will. I think it'll yeah. be really fun. So everybody's pulling for Mark for this silent yeah, meditation. Yeah, so it's just an, another way to raise money and awareness for, again, it, like we have it on our site, the fundraiser, but it all goes to Farm Section. So my idea was, okay, you know, I'm not, I definitely are not, I'm not mirroring the, uh, it's just, the animals are, and do we even talk, Farm Sanctuary is a place where they are bringing, that's something I guess, well, why don't you, 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 oh, yeah. you tell so Farm that. Sanctuary is an organization that um, we had heard about. We had heard about the, that, that, you know, 17 years ago, and then now we've become much more familiar with them. But Farm Sanctuary started by rescuing animals, farm animals that were in horrific, horrific conditions and were either left to die or 
thrown out literally. And so they started small and they grew and then their their mission became even bigger than that. And so their mission is to rescue, to educate and to legislate. So when we were talking about going with Gene to the Department of Agriculture, that was part of the legislation for better um, practices for a factory farm, like getting rid of the gestation crates for pigs, the battery cages for hens where they're they're put in these hen, um, these cages where they literally cannot turn around their entire lives, and, um, on and on and on. But they, so they do some some incredibly incredibly powerful and um, very important work, um, and it's exhausting. I can't I can't imagine doing the work they do. I mean, I think Gene worked for twenty years on the Down Animal Act alone, which is just that. Don't you think it's probably a good idea not to have an animal that can't even walk on its own volition? to slaughter, um, it probably should be humanely humanely euthanized as opposed to dragged to slaughter and then given to the meat that you're going to eat. I mean, it's 20 years it took. So it's a very, it's exhaustingly difficult process. And so Farm Sanctuary is this organization that has just made incredible strides in helping animals. Um, and we really, really believe in them. And, and Gene Bauer is just, it's like, he's, he really is like Gandhi. He's, he's amazing. Okay. Well, here's a way to symbolically, uh, I'm going to spend a bunch of my time thinking about the animals and, you know, what I can do to help them more. We've got more to come of, of how we're, of our own, um, not-for-profit that we're going to be starting, uh, for that. But I thought, okay, this is a great way for, you know, I'm just as this, the animals are silenced. I mean, we have a lot of people, uh, who have their voices silenced in their society. But certainly, I think the greatest, certainly in numbers, are the animals whose voices, and certainly they don't want to be treated the way they, they are. So um, so on this why I thought, okay, well, here's a couple of ways. They're silenced. They don't get to speak. And they also are often in these, they're not able to move um, for most of their lives. So I said, okay, for at least two weeks, it's not that much of my time that I could be silent uh even though it's of my own volition and I could minimize my motion so that, uh, just so I could honor them in my own way and not try to, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, I, I want to make it clear. I'm not, I know I'm not doing what, you know, I'm not putting myself in the position right. and I'm doing this by choice and they're, they're not, but at least it's my way of sort of honoring them and raising awareness and, um, about the, their plight. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to be doing. And I th- again, it's, it's more that the silence isn't really going to be the problem, but it's, it's not moving, not running, not reading. You're not allowed to read. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff I'll figure out and I'll let you know when I come back. Wow. Okay. So that's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I don't know if I could do that. I know I could, oh, but I, I don't, I mean, he's doing right. this. I've never done. And this also song. sort of goes along with sort of goes along. I tend to like, as Lara said, I, I tend to go all in. So when we bicycled across the country early in our relationship, I hadn't been on a bike until <laughs> for seven years until two days before we left. And that one, that was our first major trip where we, we raised money for Parkinson's disease research, which my dad died, that died up or not at that point he hadn't died, but he had Parkinson's disease. Um, so, but we had gotten sponsored by Cannondale and I hadn't gotten our bikes until two days before. So we were just like, okay, I don't need to train. I'll train along the way. And so we'll, we'll do that. Same thing with hiking across, across uh, our first time through England for 200 miles. People thought we were crazy and we hadn't really done that much prep. We're like, okay, well, let's just, you know, if we're going to go, let's go all in for that. And same thing here. I, 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 I 
I think we did a med- I might have meditated about 30 minutes in my life. So, so this is, <laughs> well, we did do a transcendental meditation a trans- like, um, really training together. But yeah, but that was really, and you were small. actually much better at it than I was. Right. But that was like small bits. And, yeah, like, and that yeah, was like a long minutes, time. Yeah. 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 Right. So this is, this is just, I, I, I'm purposely not, I was like, okay, you know, I don't want to sort of psych myself out. So I figure if I don't know anything about what I'm getting into, <laughs> just, I'm more likely I'm there. I'm going to have to sort of just stick with it. So I'm going for it. Just dive right in. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's just end with one other question. Mm-hmm. And who is your favorite child? <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, one of our children uh, wrote that. <laughs> I, no, no, you're that, not going to answer that. Did, did Jonah write that? Uh, yeah, Jonah wrote that. Um, <laughs> Let's see. How about how let's do you? Let's see. How did you meet Laura? Okay. Well, we're going to end on this note because this okay. will be great. How did you meet Laura? Okay. So first, we we were we both went to Duke University and didn't know each other, and we're introduced seven years later. Although it turns out that like we didn't, I didn't even recognize you. We had two mutual friends at Duke, mm-hmm. and then it turns out that my dad had videotaped the the graduation like ceremony, and we were about like seven people apart. You were seven people behind me in the procession, which was pretty crazy. That is so. Crazy. I'm sure that we. So seven years later, we met. Yeah. yeah. So seven years later, you tell that story better than, than I about were about Evie and and stuff. But, yeah. Um. We we met. Uh. We were introduced we, we by were introduced, one of our two yeah. mutual friends. Introduced us. I don't know if you want, it might be a lot to, to get into yeah, that. That's we right. that yeah, another we'll, thing. That's, it's a really beautiful story. So we'll have to, we'll have to um, get into yeah, that. We can get into like a mutual we, friend of ours introduced, introduced us. us and we went on a, like a double date in central park and I just knew, wow, this I felt, massaged him. She Girls, was, pay yes. attention. I gave him a massage. And I said the other part that you said, <laughs> she <laughs> also, <laughs> she also told me she had an oral fixation. <laughs> no, I'll t- okay. And, well, and like, that I was a triplet. Right, yeah, yeah, no, no, I had heard <laughs> that she was a triplet. But did not know that the like the two other parts of that were like these six foot four strapping guys. So I had a completely different image of who I was going to meet. Uh, and then then she gave me a massage and told me she had an oral fixation. But uh, I just locked it right yeah. in there. <laughs> so so I was sort of all I was all in for that too. <laughs> even even once I found out that they were two uh, identical twin brothers. Um, but then and then I was leaving a couple days. I, I got. Six the, weeks. The next day, I will like we went on another. Da- we we went on a date with just the two of us. Yeah. After this double date, a week later, and then the, the day after our our own date, you had gotten cast, cast for as the, the lead as in, the lead role in in a, in a show. Indiana rep. So I was going to be was gone be gone for the, several months. Yeah. So six weeks after that, our first date, you left. So we really yeah. we got it kind of going in six weeks. But I think we knew like from that date, there was, mm-hmm. again, there was something about it that just felt different. We were, we were yeah. older uh, at that point, um, a little uh, a number of years older and we're just uh, probably in a place. And we I, I thought- We were 19, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, but no, I, I think we, we felt like both felt, okay, I want to sort of see, I don't want this. I'm going to be going away and this is worth, I wanted to work work through this and 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 see you know I wanted to keep keep this going. So even though I knew I was going to be going going away for six weeks, and then I knew I was going um, I was going to be going to LA for pilot season um, for another couple of months. I was going to be gone for a bunch, but we sort of knew right away that okay, we're this is worth exploring. Yeah. So we did, and, and it was worth it, and it was, and it's twenty years later, and it's still super worth it. Yeah. So thank you, honey, for being on here. Oh, I love it. 
You are a wonderful person to interview, so I will be having you back for sure. (laughs) Great. So love to you and to all of you out there. Find somebody who makes you happy, who makes you laugh, who makes you smile, and who makes you feel as important and as good as you are. Thanks. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.